Welcome to Spring of Life. My name is Mike Luzinski, and I serve as the lead pastor here. I'm so glad you're taking the time to grow in your faith through scripture, preaching, and the conversations on our podcast. The heart of our mission is a sermon series about what makes us spring of life. Our mission is embracing all to become vessels of God's overflowing grace. This is our core identity as a church, and it binds us together. Let us pray. Merciful God, we have strayed from your ways. Teach us and lead us back home to you as we read your word. Amen. Scripture today is from Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Today is the second week of our sermon series, The Heart of Our Mission. We're spending time in the month of October to focus ourselves on what animates the ministry of this church. To say our mission is at the core of our identity. It's why we exist as a church. And we shared last week our our updated mission statement, our compass, that guides us as we make decisions of how to live out our faith, our call from God. And we need a compass because we could do a lot of different things. Our church is located in a community that is bustling with opportunity and potential. And so what will guide us as we make decisions about what the next steps of our church are, what our future is? It's our mission statement. Do you remember it? I'm putting you on the spot now. We're only 30 seconds into the sermon. Okay, well, let's say it together. It'll show up on the screen. Embracing all to become vessels of God's overflowing grace. This is our mission. It's powerful. It's concise. It's clear. This is our compass, and it's rooted in John 7, in Jesus Christ, our spring of life. And so... Today, we're going to focus on the first two words, the first two words of that mission statement, embracing all. And I want to ask our children a question. Do you all know what the word embrace means? Raise your hand if you know what the word embrace means. I know, we're using, we're using big words in church today. Anyone? Yes? Yes, to give a hug. Yeah, that's a great example of what it literally means to embrace someone. If you've embraced someone, you've given them a hug. Can you think of anything else you might embrace? 
Did you have one? It's okay if you need more time to think about it. Say that again. To embrace. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it is. When you embrace someone, it, it can be a form of grace. Yeah. You're, you're leading us. We're going to talk more about that later. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, to love someone else. That's good. Any other examples of embracing something? Sometimes if there's a difficult thing, we can embrace the challenge. Uh, that, that's another way to do it. All right, one more, one more question for each of you. Who was the last person to give you an embrace uh, or to give you a hug? Who was the last person? Raise your hand if you could tell me. Yes. Your dad? Yes. Your friend? Awesome. Any others can think of uh, the last person to give you an embrace? Yes. Your mom? Awesome. Yes. Your mom as well? Fantastic. I can feel the love all throughout uh, out that. What a gift. Yes. Your dad. All right, good. Glad the dads can be represented as well uh, in the, yes, in the embracing. So these are all ways we share love, grace, a form of grace. That's what embracing is, a hug. And so when we think about this statement, embracing all, we reflect on what it means. I'd, I'd say we have to start by thinking about how God has embraced us. We say it every week when we come to the communion table that communion is a response to what God has already done for us. And when we think about how we respond embracing other people, we have to start by remembering how God has embraced us, loving us, hugging us before we had it all figured out. There's a fancy word for this that we like to use in the Methodist church called prevenient grace. It's the grace God gave to us, the love God gave to us before we knew we needed it, before we got cleaned up and were good enough to receive that love. God was reaching out and offering us this tremendous gift. God loved us by sending Christ to embrace us while we were yet sinners. And so our, our core idea that is pulling this together today is that we are called to embrace others the way that God has already embraced us. Or to say it personally, uh, embracing others the way that God has already embraced me. That's what we mean by embracing all when we look at it in the context of our mission statement. Now, the heart of God is revealed in the parable of the lost sheep. But I want to tell you a little bit about the context of this parable because it makes it jump off the page even more. So imagine Jesus is at a dinner party. And most of Jesus' dinner parties in the New Testament involve conflict of some kind or another. And so, of course, at this dinner party, there are two groups that mix about as well as oil and water. The church leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the, uh, the well-to-do folks who are accustomed to the rules and regulations of dinner parties are there. And the other folks who Jesus has invited 
This translation calls them the tax collectors and sinners, but there's another translation that calls them notorious sinners are invited to this dinner party. And you can imagine the pastors of the day were a little bit put off by sharing a table, coming together with notorious sinners. And so they accused Jesus, the the church folks, accused Jesus of breaching the Jewish traditions by inviting these people who didn't deserve to be there to the meal. And so Jesus responds, not by arguing, not by telling them that they're wrong, but by simply sharing this parable. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Posing two questions to the group of people dining around the table, Jesus begins to shape their imagination. Maybe they agree that, yes, it's logical to search for the lost sheep. Maybe they don't agree. Maybe they're thinking, oh, that man probably has a good amount of wealth. I mean, back in Jesus' day, having 100 sheep, that's, that's a big deal. You are, you are a well-off family if you have 100, 100 sheep. And that shepherd, that sheep owner, used a lot of energy, time, and resources, and strength to go search for that sheep. Jesus keeps going. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. One of the themes throughout each of these parables in Luke 15 is joy. There is always joy when what was lost has been found. And we also can see just by the context that this search required the shepherd going some distance away. Because if it was only a short distance, he wouldn't have taken the effort to put the sheep up on his shoulders and carry it all the way back. That lets us know that it was, it was a long journey that he had made. And when he arrives, you know, back at camp, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. There's something social about joy. It's meant to be shared. What was lost has been found, and the shepherd wants to celebrate. It's an invitation to rejoice. It's an invitation to build community. Jesus pivots away from the world of the parable into interpreting and making sense of the parable. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. As I think about how we fit into this parable, I'm again reminded that uh, anytime we call God the good shepherd, we're implying that we're sheep. (laughs) We're implying that we are the ones that sometimes get lost and make decisions that lead us away 
from where God wants us to be. Now, let's give a little grace here to the sheep. Maybe the sheep had just found a patch of good grass and thought, ooh, this is delicious. I'm excited. Kept munching, walking a little further. And when he looked up, hey, where'd everybody go? I mean, it it could easily happen. Or maybe the sheep was frustrated with those 99 other folks that he was tired of living with and said, hey, I need some space. I need a break from all of you for a little while. And then he looked up and boom, everyone was gone. We too have found ourselves in moments, whether it was intentional or unintentional, that we've strayed away. And through the words of verse 7, Jesus offers all of us an opportunity to repent. And repent at the most basic level, just, just how embrace means hug, at the most basic level, repent means U-turn. So if the sheep was facing this direction, the sheep now turns around to receive the shepherd's embrace. That repentance, that U-turn is a part of, of this process, allowing God to rescue the sheep. The shepherd comes all the way to the sheep, but ultimately the sheep needs to cooperate a little bit to be saved. And this reveals the heart of God, of who God is. According to Luke 15, the heart of God is like a shepherd who leaves the 99 to search out the one lost sheep. The heart of God is like a poor woman with 10 coins who loses one and sweeps her house and searches her house on her hands and knees until she finds it. The heart of God is like a father who is grieved by his son who's decided to leave, looking out for him, running to meet him on the road, and welcoming him home, throwing a huge party. Jesus tells us a lot about the heart of God in Luke 15. The heart of God is embracing And it's embracing people before they've cleaned up, before they've figured it all out, before they're deserving and worthy of love. I can't help but but sit with this parable and ask myself, is this heart of God in me? Because when we read these parables, it could easily be said, hey, well, you have 99 other sheep. You got to protect your investment here. You know, what if something happens to the 99? You know, we can, we'll be okay if we lose that one. It'll be fine. Or maybe I still have nine coins and I'm sure the other one will show up. I mean, we'll just keep an eye out for it over the next few days. It's totally fine. Don't want to, don't want to stress too much. Or, well, That prodigal son made his choices. He's the one who chose this, and so you made your bed, now you get to sleep in it. We'll be around, but I'm not not running after you. I'm just waiting to say I told you so. But that's not what happens in any of these passages of Scripture because that's not the heart of God. Embracing people is what Jesus was getting at in each of these parables. And embracing people 
is that core part of our mission. We embrace others the way God has already embraced us. And what I find so radical about this is that by simply embracing people, Jesus offers an invitation to transformation. By simply inviting the notorious sinners, I'm going to keep saying that, it's stuck in my head, to the dinner party, Jesus is offering them an invitation to change, to a different future, a different life not what they have experienced before. And that opportunity to repent and be transformed changes someone from an outsider who is not worthy and who will never belong into someone who believes there is a seat for them at the table, an insider, someone who now knows the heart of God. Jesus moves towards people and embraces them prior to their repentance. And I believe that is the call for us too. Now, remember, Jesus embraced people in a way that, off, that upset some of the church leaders, but in a way that, that didn't compromise his values. What Jesus did not do was, hey, it's okay, you can do whatever you want, just come have dinner with me. Jesus didn't compromise his values to embrace people, but Jesus did Start with human beings by welcoming them in, by prioritizing relationship as an act of grace. Jesus offered them an opportunity to be in relationship even when the leaders of the church had already decided that those people, whoever they were, you can fill in the blank in their head, in your head, were not worthy of their time and attention. We're not worthy of relationship and a, a seat at the table. But Jesus offers relationship as an act of grace. And if we don't start with this posture of embracing people first, then we'll run the risk of becoming modern Pharisees, being judgmental, exclusive, uncaring, but I know that's not the type of church that we are, but yet we acknowledge that those accusations hurled at the Pharisees are hurled at church communities today. That hasn't changed. But I invite you to imagine how the world would be a different place if we started engaging people by embracing them. If we started with a, a posture of curiosity and care, compassion. I can think of a story that happened in this congregation a few years ago. There was a member of our church who had recently experienced the death of her husband. And it was in a, a short time after that that another widow in the congregation came up to her and invited her to lunch and invited her to play cards. And that is a pretty simple act. Hey, you want to go to lunch? Hey, you want to join a group doing something fun? But that simple action 
can be used by God to invite people into deeper community and to create a friendship that blossomed that was a tremendous act of grace for both of them. But it started with a simple act of embracing someone and saying, I, I care about you. I'm sorry for the grief that you're experiencing and, and I've experienced something similar in my own life. And that simple act of embracing can be used by God in powerful ways. You know, embracing is an act, a simple act of grace that can change people, the individual lives of people, but ultimately can change the world. That's why we included it as a part of our mission statement. Embracing all, let's go back to that. I want you to remember this. All right. Can we go back to the, the slide at the very beginning with the mission statement? All right, there we go. Let's say it together once more. Embracing all to become vessels of God's overflowing grace. Jesus has embraced us and calls us to embrace others. And that changes our lives, it changes other people, and it changes our world through the grace of God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for searching after us and embracing us while we were lost sheep. Give us the grace we need to embrace you and embrace others so that all may know the fullness of new life through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have questions or want to talk further about this message, I'd love the chance to talk with you. Visit us online at springchurch.org slash connect or email me at pastormike at springchurch.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Music